This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Yeah, I think the tone of this discussion is is really important, and it's one of the things that uh, really is something that I think uh, we have to reflect on as a community, because I think that the tone with which we balance uh, the offer of the gospel and hope that Jesus brings that's able to uh, reshape uh, who we are mm-hmm. and how we respond in relationship to a person's sense of, this is who I am, and there's just no hope. Um, how, how to communicate that in a context in which oftentimes this topic generates a lot of heat and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of conflict and a lot of anger, uh, uh, high blood pressure. You can describe it in a variety of ways. Um, uh, how, how do we how do we as a church community overcome that tendency, the tendency to react in a way in which because you're standing up for right and you deeply believe in it, you know, you have this passion of wanting to communicate that, uh, how do we we help the church with its tone in this topic? Why don't you start, Michael? Surely. Uh, I I think it's important to recognize that we will be misunderstood as Jesus was. Yes. That when we stand for righteousness, as Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, beginning verse 10, that, that we will be reviled and even persecuted. So we accept that. We understand that. If the world called him Beelzebub, what's it going to call us? So we're not expecting everyone to like us. But I think it's so important, as we do with any other issue, that we start with a confession of our own sin. I spoke at a rally recently, and the only word I said about homosexuality was this that no-fault heterosexual divorce in the church has done more to destroy marriage than all gay activists combined. We must point the finger at ourselves and, and recognize our own failures in a public way. So even though there's some of the gay community that, that hates and reviles me and, and looks at me as uh, articles have been written on me as that I'm an anti-gay monster, I understand there, there's going to be that perception. But I have on a number of occasions in Charlotte and elsewhere publicly apologized to the gay and lesbian community for the hypocritical example of the heterosexual church, for all of our scandals, for the guilt that's on our hand in terms of promoting immorality, tolerating immorality, destroying the family unit. Confess that first, and then secondly, confessed our sins against the homosexual community and painting them as, as the worst of all sinners and every one of them some promiscuous deviant who's out to capture little children and things like that, and the worst enemy in fighting things in political terms rather than in compassionate terms. So I've offered that apology publicly, and then we've got to build relationships. When I had that long flight with the the fellow going to Rome, at the end of the flight, I said, if you met someone like me that held to all the views I hold to, would you consider that person a homophobe? He goes, oh, absolutely. I said, do you consider me a homophobe? He goes, no, I heard your heart. 
It's so wonderful to hear a conservative with a heart. Sometimes, especially when we're in a public setting before the secular media or some Christian radio show, we think we got to talk about those homosexuals and those sodomites and and we got to show how radical and righteous we are. And of course, it, it does no good. It doesn't further our message by taking on some type of tone. So at the risk of someone thinking that I'm soft on this issue, I'm going to speak with compassion, and I'm constantly going to try to speak in such a way that if a gay person was listening, they'd say, he understands me. Hmm. He understands my back. He, under- he sees the world through my eyes, even though he differs with me. And it's going to require patience, and ultimately, we must get in their shoes. I have read books written about struggles that gay men and women have had, or how they left the church or turned away from God because of preaching about homosexuality and put the book down and got alone on my knees and wept in the presence of God and said, I hurt for these people so much. I hate to be perceived as an enemy. Help, help me to do what's right, but to do it in a way that glorifies you and helps them. And, and there's that tension we always have to carry as we stand for what's right and demonstrate mercy and compassion at the same time. I would just add that, that, there's, that Michael has, I think, depicted it extraordinarily well. And the church is in a very difficult position because uh, as, as different from sort of other situations, in this situation you had the added element of activism that wants to push the church into a certain mold. There was actually a book written almost 30 years ago after the ball by Kirk and Madsen that, outla- that outlined a strategy for changing changing the attitudes of America. Uh, it was written by two gay activists, and one of, the things they, one of the things they really emphasized was that the gay community should always portray itself as victims and portray conservatives as the victimizers. And there's mm-hmm. a sense in which there's a drive to push us into that mold. And sadly, as Michael has intimated, all too frequently, we, we don't just fall in, we jump in. We, mm-hmm. we, we engage in this outrageous rhetoric and... Uh, Really, really, it is. It can at times be, headache, be rhetoric that is truly hateful, and I think there needs to be, um, you know, training and and thoughtfulness in our engagement with these issues in such a way that we discipline ourselves that that we're going to follow Christ, not follow the mold that that we're, others want to push us into. So we're going to have the self control. We're going to have the discipline to stick stick to what Christ would have us say. To stick to the kind of perspectives that He would bring to this situation, and He would bring love and unrelenting pursuit. Our God is a God of patience. Our God is a, a God of faithfulness, but our God is also a God of purity. And so we we are people who have been given the gift of being being given a message. We, we've been given a message in the person of Jesus Christ. We've been given a message in His Word, and His Word guides us towards holiness. And so we don't have any option other than to love and to tell the truth. And so in doing so, um, we need to resist the activism that would push us off off center. Um, you know, I, I work at Wheaton College, and we've we've been the target a number of times of sort of gay activist groups, and uh, they oftentimes are very explicitly following a pattern of pro- intentional provocation. And mm-hmm. n- understanding that and not letting yourself be provoked, but rather responding with grace and love and truth um, is, is a discipline, and, and it really does pay off. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on the Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. 
It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. Well, I think this is a, a significant conversation, and uh, we're slowly running out of time, which is unfortunate, but I appreciate your uh, willingness to engage on this. Let me ask uh, one final question, kind of open-ended, and that is, if there's one thing you would say to people who who wrestle with this area, and I'm going to put two, I'm going to put two different kinds of people in front of you. I'm people in the church. What do you say to people in the church about this issue? And then what would you say to a homosexual person who is thinking about and is open to what goes on in the church? What do you say to each of those audiences about this kind of topic and engaging on it? For me, Daryl, to, to the person in the church, I would say approach the, the, the homosexual person through the grid of a full confrontation with your own brokenness. Realize that you are a person on a journey. You are a person who's been called to die to self and to turn to Christ for redemption. And see in them the mirror of your own experience. Um, always approach them realizing that we are fellow human beings. They are, they are not the other. They are not the activist. They are another human being. And to the person who um, who is who's open, who's in the in the gay community, I think the the major thing is to not start with the moral commands. That, that that's almost a way of guaranteed to push them away, but rather try your best to introduce them to Christ, the the, the living God, the Son of the living God, and um, and bring them into a loving relationship with Him. The the moral issues will come. Christ would call them to holiness, but those. He, the, the call to holiness only really grabs a hold of us when we see the need, the deep need in our lives. And so it is the living encounter with Christ that is going to be transformed. So in talking and having them come to Christ, you're talking about emphasizing those things that Christ offers people that, that, that surround the entirety of life and not just this particular that's area. Right, that's right. And so you don't avoid sexuality, but sexuality is not the only area. Okay. Michael, what would you say? Yeah, so to answer in, in reverse order and to give us kind of a chaotic structure. Okay. The answer there, uh, of course, the issue of homosexuality may come up as I'm dealing with someone in the world, but I'm not going to start there. Uh, it seemed that many that I've met that say that they're even gay and Christian, it's more of a social Christianity. There's not really authority of scripture involved. So it's, it's nominal. Whoever the person is, I would make the entire focus coming into right relationship with God, the general guilt that's in their life uh, that we've sinned against God. I would really pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I would point everything exactly as Stan said to Jesus and following him. Obviously, the question of sexuality comes up. And while I would tell him there's the hope of change, I have to tell him, you give everything to the Lord. We'll sort that out after, but right now, you're going to have to give everything to Jesus and say, you're going to be the Lord of my life. Forgiveness is free. Salvation is a free gift, but it's one that requires embracing Jesus as Lord. But we make the mistake of starting on the sexual issue, and sometimes it's hard to avoid, but we need to do our best to push away from that. When I talked to these two gentlemen last night, I said, my goal in our interaction, my ultimate goal is to introduce you to Jesus in such a way that everything in your life will change. 
to someone within the church, not only would I put the emphasis on, on holiness and offer them hope for the future in God, I would try to give them a larger context because, because they're, Every kind of sexual expression goes these days. And now reality TV has shows on polyamory, polyamory multiple loving relationships. And now there, there are lawsuits and polygamous reality TV stars to say, why can't this be legal in our state? Everything kind of goes. Uh, the boundaries have been removed. I would help that person to see, look, a lot of what's happening now goes back to the sexual revolution of the 60s. This is part of a larger degeneration in our society. And I would show them when you open the door here, look at what's happening. I would want them to understand that this, this sexual promiscuity of which celebration of homosexuality is, is part of that, even among committed homosexual couples, the fact is it's part of a larger social moral issue. I want them to see that the same struggles they're having are ultimately going to impact little kids in school, like at the nursery school here in Charlotte, where teachers are not allowed to call the kids boys and girls because that would be making a gender distinction. And I would try to point them back to there's something special about what God intended for male and female. And, and you are not what your desires are. You are who you are in Jesus. And if, if you could take your mind off sexuality for a little while and just focus on being a child of God and who you are in Jesus and really developing intimacy with him and will help you grow as a disciple, a lot of things will dramatically change. And then, of course, we got to be willing to cry with them and, and walk things through with them. And, and if, if the whole goal is don't think about an elephant for the next hour, and I'll give you a thousand dollars. That's all the whole half heterosexual, that's guaranteed to fail. So can can to I ask you to just repeat that? You broke up a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if I say, uh, uh, don't think about elephants for the next hour and I'll give you $1,000, that's all we're going to think about is elephants. <laughs> if someone, whole emphasis is, I can't think of homosexual thought, I have to think heterosexual thoughts, you're, you're, you're guaranteed to fail. So just forget about that right now. If a thought comes, let it go in one ear, out the other. That's not who you are. You are not who you desire sexually. You are, you are not who you desire romantically. You're a child of God called to be holy, and we're going to help you grow in that. And it's amazing to see the changes and disciplines that come as we put first things first. So as our uh, uh, sense of identity shifts from our desires and what runs through our mind in relationship to desires and moves towards our relationship to God and how he can not only uh, come into our lives, you know, this is this is actually where the gospel speaks to this area. You know, the gospel is not just about having sins forgiven. The gospel is about an enablement that God gives that comes through the spirit and the life that mm -hmm. he, he gives to us when we come to him, and that uh, opens up uh, new uh, vistas and new possibilities for who we are as people, capabilities that we didn't have uh, before we come to God and focus on Him. And so I think it's nice to come to the end of this and, and to think about how the gospel actually can speak into this situation, that, that in our identity that we find in Christ and in the capability that He gives to us through the Spirit that comes from the Christ when we come to Him, uh, we we have the possibility of, of, 
of living differently than we did before. It may not remove everything that we've struggled with before because we struggle and grow to the end as we've talked about, but it does mean that there's the possibility of of being different than who we were. And in that transformation there's the possibility of hope of a different way of life. Is that is is that what we're saying? I think that's well said, uh, Daryl, and, and I, I think that there is hope for transformation, there's hope for redemption, there's hope of being made whole, and uh, that is the, the business that God is about. Michael? Yes, absolutely. And Daryl, you're the Greek scholar here, but most Christians just think of grace as unmerited favor, which is wonderful and extraordinary, but it doesn't end there. It, it's God's ongoing gracious help. It's God's empowerment. I got saved as a heroin shooting, LSD using, rock drumming, 16-year-old lost kid full of pride, hatred, anger. And to the core of my being, Jesus changed who I was and said, deny yourself, take up the cross. But when you see Jesus, it's not morbid. It's, it's not terrible. It's not like a monk, you know, wearing, you know, flagellating himself or something like that. It's glorious. It's wonderful. If we can really present Jesus and connect people to the living vine, there's no better life. Yeah, I think the power that we're talking about here to transform and to change, uh, it changes all of us in a wide variety of areas, and that's why we're that, that's why we're discussing homosexuality in the context of sexuality and humanness as a whole. Because I do that's think right. the real danger here is that in focusing just on homosexuality, we lose a context for for humanness and humanity and the way God made us, and, and we end up. It's your elephant example. You know, I end up being focused on the elephant uh, and trying to forget about the elephant, and I can't forget about the elephant, when in fact what we're asking is, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a creature of God? What does it mean to be in fellowship with God? And then how does God engage us in that life in such a way that we become the people he designed us to be, rather than them reflecting the brokenness that we tend to come into life with? Well, I want to... Thank you all for the time and for the discussion. Uh, I'm sure we may try and do this again, but I really do thank you for your coming to the table and talking with us about what is a very important uh, set of issues, and that is the whole area of sexuality, homosexuality, and, and the Christian and the Christian church. Thank you all very, very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode is brought to you in part by the Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries podcast. Do you want to grow in your influence? Bow's episodes feature tips for leaders of any kind, from mentoring one woman to leading a ministry. Browse Bow's podcast at Beyond Ordinary Women dot org.